Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords. And my name is John Keeley. This is the 384th show of ROI, and our guest for today is Dr. Julie Cartwright, Associate Professor of History at Iowa State University, who is going to talk to us about the book Prairie Fire, the Great Plains History. The history buff for today's show is Rick Sweet. The show's theme song is Kayla's Theme, written and performed by Mark Zapsaptel. Our producer and engineer is, as always, Mr. David Baker. This is the opening segment of the show called Farouk Dinarin, and today we'll be talking about the book Prairie Fire, A Great Plains History, with Dr. Julie Courtright, Associate Professor of History at Iowa State University. Welcome to the show, Julie. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. We're very excited. So let's start out. I was just curious, why that title? What what made you think of that as the title for a book? Well, it wasn't my title. Oh, <laughs> even better. <laughs> the press chose this title. <laughs> I think they wow. thought it would be easy, easy for people to locate uh, online if they were looking for um, a book about prairie fire or grass fires. Um, I originally titled my dissertation, which the book is based on my dissertation, uh, Taming the Red Buffalo. And Taming the Red Buffalo comes from uh, uh, the Osage uh, peoples who were based primarily in southeast Kansas, um, reportedly referred to Prairie Fire as the Red Buffalo um, because it, it moves across the land just like the buffalo do, uh, eating up the grass. Um, and so I liked the imagery of that, that title. The Taming the Red Buffalo, sadly, isn't very Google-friendly. <laughs> and so the, 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 press, the press nixed it uh, to make it more uh, accessible, I think, to, to potential readers. <laughs> Now, see, I if, totally disagree with your publishing company. Yeah, I, like I, I would agree. I love the title better, yeah. Yeah, because Prairie yeah. Fire, I mean, especially what's going on in Colorado and California, I'm thinking, oh, okay, here we go again. But um, where did you uh, come up with the idea of uh, cre- creating this basis for your dissertation? Now, you've got some uh, thesis writers around you at this table. And we all never took the jump off the deep end to do a dissertation. So where did you get the idea? What was the basis of it? Well, uh, I went, I, when I started my graduate work, um, I was, I'm a Kansas native. I love the Great Plains. I love the open space and the grassland. Uh, and so I wanted to study the American West because the Great Plains is often you know, a component, considered a component of the American West, a subregion of the American West. And I kind of um, was drawn to environmental history because I do, do, do appreciate the, the open space. And uh, when I went to, I went to graduate school in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and my friends used to tease me because I felt very closed in in uh, the forested areas right. in uh, northern Arkansas, and I couldn't see the horizon. And so uh, I missed the Great Plains. And um, so one weekend I was home visiting my parents during graduate school, and it was getting to be time to choose a dissertation topic. And 
I literally woke up in the middle of the night and just thought, prairie fire, you know. Uh, there's a lot of range burning, controlled uh, fires in the area where I'm from. And uh, I'm from Butler County, which is kind of the tail end of the Kansas Flint Hills. And to the north, every year, the ranchers would burn um, the grass. And I was familiar with that. Um, And so I think the idea came from there, uh, from that. Every year we could smell the smoke you know, as they burned the Flint Hills, uh, and we knew what it was, and there'd be articles in the paper. And so I think, you know, somewhere inside me, you know, I I remembered that, and it came out (laughs) as a dissertation idea, which I'm profoundly grateful for, because it worked out pretty well. (laughs) Well, so Julie, most of us, I think, are used to thinking of large fires as forest fires. That's what we're familiar mm-hmm. with. That's what tends to, to be around. We don't have a lot of planes anymore. Um, and so, you know, like you said, that controlled burning really isn't the same kind of thing. So I'm just curious, can you give us some sense of what a prairie grass fire would have looked like it, for Native Americans, for example? Were these, mm-hmm. you know, a few miles? Were these hundreds of thousands of miles? What kinds of... of uh, what level of fire are we talking about here? It really depended on the situation. Um, it could be anything from a very small, um, controlled, fairly controlled burn uh, that, you know, if there's no wind behind the burn, if the fuel load, the grass on the ground is relatively light, it could just be a very minor little burn, um, you know, that you can step over or jump over. <laughs> Uh, and then the complete opposite of that 180 degree turn is a massive wind driven, incredibly dangerous fire, you know, just just charging through the tall grass prairie. Um, so the intensity of the fire um, and, you know, how dangerous it was really depended on wind how fast the wind was, how volatile the wind was, and that it also depended on fuel load. Um, Fires tended to be a a lot more dangerous in the tall grass and mid-grass parts of the Great Plains and less dangerous in the short grass region because of fuel load. Um, However, I think probably the primary factor was the wind. If you had a strong wind pushing that fire um, and it was going through substantial grass, then it was a, it was a dangerous situation. Um, um, now, there were controlled burns, you know, versus the wildfires, and those are two separate things. And controlled burns, you know, the Native people did, did set controlled burns, um, but then the accidental uncontrolled wildfires were, were completely, you know, kind of a different different thing altogether. So Julie, just to follow up, I mean, am am I, I'm envisioning a fire that might be as wide as the state of Iowa under the right circumstances. Do we have, we have evidence of fires that big and bigger? Yes. Uh, Yes. There's one recorded one uh, intentionally set uh, by the United States military 
to during the Indian Wars of the 1860s um, that stretched for all the way from um, eastern Colorado through the entire state of Nebraska. <laughs> uh, this was a, it, it was a huge fire. And um, that was an intentional burn uh, that that became it, it, it got out of control, um, but it was started intentionally. Um, but yeah, these massive, these uncontrolled burns, some of them could be small, others could be uh, large. Um, there's records of, you know, fires, prairie fires jumping the Des Moines River, for example, mm-hmm. um, in Iowa. And it's all, it all depends on the wind, how strong the wind is. Sure. And how dry uh, the grass is. Uh, uh, one point I have to ask you, too, actually, for one, when you were talking to your friends in Arkansas, being that you were from mm-hmm. Kansas, you told them that they pronounced the name of their state wrong, that it's our Kansas, not <laughs> Arkansas, correct? Absolutely, I did. <laughs> I did. I, I've, known, I've known a ton of people from those states, and they always tell them that. Uh, the second <laughs> in the question is real. So what was the Native American life like? You mentioned the tribes that were in the area, and apparently, obviously, this is a devastating impact on on regions and states um what what was the the population base i mean uh how many people guesstimate lived in this area can you explain to our listeners the makeup of their social being well uh i don't have numbers of how many and how many native people lived in the area and it varied from uh, it varied from decade to decade, certainly from century to century. There's constant migration in and out of the Great Plains. Um, but the thing, to, the Native peoples, all of them, used fire as a tool. Um, yes, there were cases where wildfires were completely disruptive to Native life. There are cases where, you know, just like uh, towns today, fires could sweep through native villages, causing destruction of property, causing, you know, harm to people, even death. Um, but for the most part, you know, native peoples used fire as a tool and they, it, it was part of their lifestyle, part of their economy. It was part of living on the Great Plains. Um, you couldn't really live on the Great Plains without having a knowledge of prairie fire, of how to use it and how to control it. So they used fire. They would set intentional fires um, to use as a tool in the hunt, for example. Fire was used to drive bison. Uh, It was used to drive bison toward hunters. It was used to drive bison over cliffs as a method of hunting. Um, There's something called a surround where... They surrounded, lit the, lit the prairie on fire intentionally around the herd to confuse the herd um, and make them easier to hunt. Uh, fire was used in warfare, um, not as much as an, as an offensive weapon, but it was used de- defensively, uh, particularly smoke cover was a good way to move warriors without the enemy knowing where you were going or what you were doing. Um, Fire was used as a tool for communication amongst the native groups. You know, uh, if two bands are are camped uh, miles apart, 
and they're going to rendezvous later in the season to uh, travel together, then one band might fire the prairie, meaning apply fire, set the prairie on fire um, as, a, as a signal that it's time to start packing up and time to make their way toward the rendezvous point. Okay. So we have a know, lot communication, more... war, hunting, uh, there's a lot, lot, lot of ways in which it was used. Okay. We have a lot more to talk about, so please stay tuned for the next segment of our show. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. In times of joy, in moments of grief, broadcasters come through, even when all else fails. Today, with more ways than ever to experience the moments that transform our lives, Americans still choose broadcast radio and television more than all other media combined. We are the local broadcasters of radio and television, reaching more people, touching more lives. Brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Hello and welcome back to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where the events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords. My name is John Keeley. This is the second segment of our show, referred to as The Kitchen Table. Our guest for today is Dr. Julie Courtright. Associate Professor of History at the Iowa State University, and we're talking about her book, Prairie Fire, A Great Plains History. Our history buff for today's show is Rick Sweet. And Rick, since you're a man of the prairie, you get the first question. <laughs> well, thanks, John. Uh, actually, I my, the prairie around my homeland is uh, referred to as a desert. But, uh, <laughs> well, hey, what's, what's the, the word? What's the word? Yeah. Talk to the guy who wrote the script, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Truly uh, curious, um, mentioned in the first segment that uh, some of the fires were uncontrolled uh, and uh, got out of hand. Do you have any any uh, information on death toll from the Indian uh, era, settler era, and even modern times? Um, I don't have, you know... I don't have a single number. Um, deaths were not uncommon in I, in any era, um, but I wouldn't say they were common either. The okay. most, the biggest threat was property damage, and then um, minor injury. But there are, of course, the horrific stories <laughs> of uh, multiple casualties uh, in in any era. And I can I could tell you stories if you want to hear them. <laughs> sure, we'd love sure. to hear one. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, uh, one the story that made me cry in the archives w- reading it uh, was uh, in North Dakota, um, and it was a, a schoolhouse, and uh, the teacher, and this this was pretty common. If a prairie fire was approaching the school. The teacher had to decide what to do. Uh, Does she, and it was usually a she um, on the Great Plains schools, does she take her children, her charges out of the schoolhouse and try to take them to plowed ground, which was considered a safe area, because it's the 
ground is plowed, there's no fuel for the fire. Uh, does she take them to a nearby stream or river, another safe place? Does she stay in the schoolhouse and worry about the fire coming and, and burning the schoolhouse? And it was often a really difficult decision. And so this teacher decided they needed to leave. And so she instructed the students that they were going to run to plowed ground and they go out and a few of the boys, whether they were confused because of the smoke, whether they were panicked for whatever reason, a few of the boys went in the wrong direction. And so the teacher and uh, another older girl, a student went to try to get them back and heading in the, in the right direction toward plowed ground. And uh, I think four of the boys and the teacher and the older girl were all caught in the fire. And when the uh, members of the community arrived, they found the bodies, you know, scattered across the school lawn. And uh, not all of them were dead. Um, all of them eventually died because their injuries were severe. But it took the teacher several hours before she finally died. And she was from Iowa, by the way, as well. Another personal connection. Um, and she blamed herself the entire time for, for taking the students out of the school because the school didn't burn. If they would have stayed inside, everything would have been fine. And so there are really tragic stories like that. Um, there are, you know, and as far as the Native American side of things, there's a, uh, there's a story told by the Brule Sioux about um, uh, fire coming into a village and burning uh, everything in it and killing several people um, and a couple of boys that were caught in the fire, uh, you know, probably should have been burned alive, um, but, but they weren't. They escaped somehow. They threw themselves onto the ground. The fire passed by and both of them had a burn on his right thigh. And after that, the Brule called themselves the people of the burnt thigh. That became one of their names for themselves, a way to identify themselves. You know, so there are stories, all kinds of stories of people getting caught and injured and even killed. Um, most of the time, you know, in the vast majority of cases, the, the biggest damage was, was property, uh, property loss. Um, but, you know, the tragedy, these tragic events, did happen. So, Julia, I'm interested in in terms of the research that you had to do. Um, where did you look for for information here? Um, obviously, it sounds like you've looked at some oral histories, some Native American oral histories that have been written down at some mm -hmm. point. Um, you've been, you know, it sounds like I, I'm going to guess that you were looking at maybe some diary entries or things like that. Um, where does one go if you're looking to, to get a handle on prairie fires? Yeah, absolutely. When I started, I didn't know what I'd find and I found, uh, <laughs> uh, too much information really more than I could possibly use. Um, it's everywhere. Uh, what I found with Prairie Fire is that this is a this is a big event in people's lives. Um, when a Prairie Fire came, especially a big one, when a Prairie Fire came, it was something they remembered. It was something they wanted to they wanted to tell their story. Um, 
And so they would write letters to relatives saying, guess what happened to me? Guess what I did today? I was fighting a prairie fire. Um, and they wrote about it in their diaries. <laughs> and they uh, wrote accounts and sent them into the newspapers. And the newspapers editors would also have comments about how the fires were dangerous and people should really be careful uh, and, and not accidentally start these fires out on the prairie because they were so dangerous. And uh, so it, it's really everywhere. Um, and it's because, because people were so invested in telling their story. It's an oral history. Um, you know, when, when a prairie fire happens to you, you, you don't keep it to yourself. <laughs> you want to tell everybody about it. And that was fortunate for me. So I traveled the Great Plains and I went to, you know, all of the state archives. I went to university archives um, and every place I went, uh, you know, there were there was plenty of plenty of prairie fire in the records. Okay, um, when talking about these issues, because again, very few things are as catastrophic as a you know prairie fire, with as you said, with the exception of a savage winter or um, a brutal tornado. Um, tornado, were there, yeah. Were there any? I mean, so how was? Uh, just to let you know, I went to college in Atchison, in Kansas, before I transferred to Iowa State. So I, I knew people right. that I went to college with, folks from. Chase County and all that area, and I have a slight idea about how Kansas settled after World War, after the Civil War. Were there any towns that, when these, and I'm, when I'm, we're talking towns, obviously not large areas, but was there a fire that came along that devastated any settlements or towns uh, that you know you were talking about the schoolhouse, which was totally horrific, but was there like an area where that had a, a, a small city hall or uh, you know, grocery store, were those places leveled by store, by any of these fires? There were cases like that. Um, thinking of an example of towns, people tended, they tended to protect towns pretty well um, because there was, you know, when a prairie fire threatened, there was like an army of <laughs> of people who went out from the town to fight it. Um, and fighting prairie fire is a really interesting uh, topic. And I'm thinking of an example of in Lawton, Oklahoma. I think it was 1904, a prairie fire threatened Lawton. And um, the rural areas were harder hit in that, in that case and in a lot of cases like this because um, – individual farmers they you know they were spaced far apart and they would go a very important part of life on the great plains is helping your neighbors and so they would help their neighbors but in the case of Lawton, you know there wasn't the fire was moving so fast there wasn't a lot of time and so a lot of the individual farmers in the countryside were left to themselves to defend their their own farms and they weren't always successful but the town of Lawton when the fire threatened the town, this whole group of people who lived in the town went out in mass and fought fire. Uh, they hit it with gunny sacks. You know, they used what water they had. 
they they dug fire guards, uh, all of the ways in which you fight fire. And so towns were usually fairly well defended um, because of the, you know, the population that was available to, to fight the fire. Now, they did get hit occasionally, but it wasn't often wasn't a total uh, destruction like a tornado. Um, it was more maybe some buildings and things on the outskirts of town um, before they could get it stopped. But um, oftentimes it's farms and um, that are that are hardest hit by these fires. Um, Julie, I'm I'm just uh, curious since you were talking about firefighting, um, mm-hmm. people wanted to tell their stories. So I'm, did you come across folks who were bragging about how wonderful they were in their firefighting or it just sounds to me like an opportunity for macho chest pounding um (laughs) a little bit of braggadocia to the folks back out back east or back home or whatever um do you have uh, instances of that or were people pretty much this is a community calamity and i'm not going to make a big deal about my part in it I mean, there were people who I think definitely played up their role in letters back home. Um, And Prairie Fire, Fighting Fire was very much um, considered a male pursuit. Men went out and fought fire. Um, Women under normal conditions stayed home and they, they took care of the children during the emergency, made sure the children stayed safe and they uh, made food to, if, if it's going to be a prolonged effort to fight the fire, they made food to sustain the firefighters. But the interesting part is oftentimes the wind would shift um, and the men would be out on the original fire line. Uh, far away from home and fighting fire there. And then the wind would shift and come back, the fire would come back toward the house or back toward the barn. And the women were left there at the homestead. um, And the women would have to go out and fight fire and protect the home. Um, And that happened pretty pretty often. Um, And so, you know, there was this gendered, division of of expectation when it came to fighting fire um but uh women did fight plenty of uh, prairie fires um it but they were considered you know heroic when they did it it was it was what men were supposed to do women who went out and fought fire were written about in the newspaper for example as as heroes and this is what this is what our strong kansas women do they go out and fight fire when necessary so there's a there's there's definitely a different expectations when it comes to uh genders and fighting fire those are kansas women would never do that <laughs> um, <laughs> julie <laughs> it is customary that we give our guest the last word on our show so why do you think knowing about the history of Great, Great Plain fires is relevant in today's world? Well, the prairie fires still still exist. Uh, they're usually 
usually, not always, uh, smaller than they used to be. Uh, since the 1920s, there's been enough infrastructure, really, that's in place across the plains, roads, plowed fields, uh, things to break up the pasture land, break up the grassland, so that you don't get as many of the large-scale fires as you did in the 19th century. But the fires still exist. I mean, uh, as recently, I don't know, just a few years ago, uh, there was a major outbreak of prairie fire in Oklahoma and Kansas. Um, and towns had to be evacuated. Um, they don't get... They're not usually called prairie fires in the media anymore. They're called wildfires. And they certainly don't get the attention that the forest fires do. But they definitely are still around and still there. And then there's the there's the need for controlled burns on the prairie. Um, I don't think there's enough fire <laughs> on the grassland. Uh, I think there should be more controlled fires um, because burning in a controlled way you know, first of all, it keeps the brush uh, and the trees from intruding into the grassland. Uh, it keeps the prairie healthy. Prairie really needs fire to stay healthy. And uh, so controlled burns are, are a way to maintain the prairie, maintain the ecosystem, and it keeps the fuel load down and so that those accidental fires don't turn into something uh, really dangerous and life-threatening. Uh, when we come back, we'll wrap things up, so stu please stay tuned. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. You're listening to Relevant or Irrelevant. This series is produced at St. Ambrose University's KALA Radio and has been honored by the Midwest Broadcast Journalists Association and the Iowa Broadcast News Association for excellence in public affairs journalism. You can hear this edition of ROI and many previous programs in this series by visiting Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, plus Apple Podcasts. ROI airs Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. on KALA HD2 and can also be heard at 106.1 FM in the Metropolitan Quad City area. You can stream this show every Friday night at TuneIn.com. Search for KALA HD2. This concludes our 384th show of ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. Our producer and engineer is Dave Baker. Our program manager is Rick Sweet. And the theme song for our show is titled Kayla's Theme and was written and performed by Mark Zap Zapital. My name is Jay Swords. My name is John Keeley. We would like to thank our noted guest, Dr. Julie Courtright, Associate Professor of History at Iowa State University, who talked with us about her book, Prairie Fire. A Great Plains History. The history buff for today's show was Rick Sweet. This is ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, on KALA. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University or KALA. We would like to wish all our listeners to experience the great Basutu proverb, Hotso Kula Nala, peace, reign, and prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night. <laughs>